This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, this is Teachers Talk Radio Breakfast Show on Saturday the 8th of January 2022 with me, Zoe Ensa, coming to you from Sussex. Today, I'm going to be continuing with my obsession with all things CPD. What can we learn about professional development from outside of education? Call in, join the chat. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, I wish I could fade out much easier with that one. I always feel it's a bit of an abrupt ending. I knew there would have to be a technical glitch there, but it's okay. We're all good. I'm back with you. Hello again. And uh, I know it probably feels like uh, probably a million years ago. Um, I certainly know when I was going back into schools after a holiday, by about break time, people saying, um, welcome back. How has your holiday been? Seems like a a long, long time ago. But I really do hope that um, those of you have gone back this week have had a fantastic start and uh, things have gone smoothly. And most importantly, that you had an incredible uh, new year, new year, and a really merry Christmas, and you were able to relax. Um, I have to say that it's a little bit grey and drizzly out here. I'm again hoping you've got some lovely weather where you are, maybe a little bit of sunshine or some playing in the snow. But uh, it's going to be a bit grim, I think, later when I head out for my run um, because it doesn't look like it's going to be lifting at all. But um, really, that that's enough about me and and my my misery, my moaning. Um, if you know, I've got to get out there and do it if I, I'm going to be able to achieve what I want to achieve. So um, I we're going to be talking today about CPD again. As I said at the start, this is my obsession. Um, I'm constantly coming back to it. I really feel that it's um, an important element um, of our schools. And I think it's something that we haven't done especially well. And so I'm turning my attention today really to exploring what's going on outside of education. What can we learn from looking at other professions, thinking about other career paths and the way that they are developing their staff and what it is that we can take from that and develop ourselves and, and, and really make our own so that we're having the impacts that we want to have. You know, all the time we come back to, you know, well, what, what's the point of this CPD? What is it actually doing for me? You know, I'm sitting here. Is it having, is it making a difference? Um, and, and often we're saying, well, actually, no, no, it isn't having the impact that we want. So I'm looking outside and I want to explore that. And, and I'm really lucky because uh, later I'm going to be joined by uh, two wonderful people um, that I feel very lucky to call my friends as well. Um, that's Clive Hill and uh, Hayley Hill. And uh, they've actually, you know, they've both um, coming from a perspective, good morning, um, coming from the perspective of um, the world outside of teaching as well. And obviously Clive has straddled across, and I'll let him talk a little bit more, between different professions. And so he can see inside. And I'm sure Hayley gets to see an awful lot about 
what's going on inside of teaching and hearing a lot about CPD, as well as her perspective within the medical profession uh, and midwifery. And so I'm really pleased that they're joining us and I know that they're already um, sort of eager to go and to get started. Um, but just to, you know, to give you a little bit more about this, I did have um, an explore around um, what was going on with CPD outside of schools and, and tried to find what I could learn because um, actually, to be honest, I haven't got that much experience myself of what happens with CPD um, and professional development outside um, my own kind of careers I suppose before going into teaching uh, involved things like cleaning um, there wasn't much development there weren't many opportunities to explore that um, and also working in play in shops and places like McDonald's now obviously there's training there was much excitement that would happen um, when you had the opportunity to explore a new piece of equipment that might make your job a bit more efficient um, but yeah, there was certainly wasn't the case that I was getting um, courses and training in customer care and uh, and some of the things that perhaps we hear about now um, that are going on more regularly or are going on as you kind of pro uh, progress through those different sectors. I do, however, know that um, certainly the medical profession is somewhere where we've been turning our attention. Um, I was reading John Tate's um, book uh, a few months ago, um, Rebooting Teaching or Teaching Rebooted, and um, he was particularly looking in that first chapter about medicine and this idea that we need you know, we know that we want um, people in those professions to be highly trained. We know that we want them to really be developing and to take that responsibility for um, what they're doing. And um, so, you know, we just wouldn't accept it. We wouldn't accept that it wasn't based on evidence. We wouldn't accept it that they're exploring that. We wouldn't accept that, that, that they were kind of considering it. But somehow in teaching and certainly in the education profession more generally, we haven't always been on that um, same track. We haven't always had that same attitude towards it. And I'd be really interested to hear from um, others who have kind of come from outside of, of education, outside of teaching and their experiences of this. Um, do you need to, as I know, in, in some areas, and, and, and again, this isn't just medicine, but also in the legal profession, a system of credits or hours that you have to put in, you have to log these hours to be able to, um, to move on, to progress, to show that you have fulfilled that aspect. We don't require that of teachers. We don't have that kind of, um, you need to log, although I know some schools are doing lots of logging and reflection and, and those sorts of things but there isn't that individual level for that hello i've got uh, jess goslin as listening from taiwan which is fantastic it's lovely to know that there's an international audience and, and again i would be really interested to know um is my perspective you know really very much based on what's happening in england and in the uk um i've read lots of things that are about cpd outside of, of England uh, and the lessons that we could perhaps take from there. Um, obviously, uh, Clever Lands, fantastic book by uh, Lucy Crean. She explores um, what these successful countries and, and, and the terms of successful, obviously, that's something to discuss and, and that might go into a whole other show. Um, but what do successful countries do in terms of teaching and learning and school systems? And included in that were um, kind of issues and topics around CPD and um, the idea of how many hours of CPD you have and what's required of you and how you then show that that has had an impact. So um, 
I was also considering, you know, well, what's our requirement um, in England? And, and very much we've got lots of focus on inset days. Um, and I know some of those inset days um, have not necessarily been successful, I suppose we could say in the past. And my experience of that hasn't been that they're always successful. Um, and, you know, it's something that's a bit of a bugbear. Some people say, well, you know, we, sh we should just be left to it. We should be allowed to just do what we need to do in that time. And there are lots of practical things that we know do need to happen, particularly in, if these days are kind of clustered at the start of the school year. Um, but we also know that, you know, we do want to improve, we do want to progress. And so, you know, I was digging through the internet, as I, as I tend to uh, when I have a spare moment, and I was just looking back at this kind of history of inset days, or the Baker days, as they were called when they were introduced back in 88. And that was a time where um, there were lots of changes happening in the education system. So we had the introduction of the national curriculum, we had the uh, changing system to the GCSEs. And so I, I presume the idea was, um, and I'm not Kenneth Baker, so I can't speak for him, but I presume the idea was that uh, we were going to be given the opportunity, teachers and education was going to be given the opportunity to make sure that uh, the reforms coming in really aligned to what was happening in their schools and in the classrooms and, and that people were up to speed. And, and I, I definitely don't think that that's anything that I'm ever going to push against. But of course, the controversy is where do those five days come from? And those five days, of course, came from teacher holidays. That's something that's often misunderstood by the community. Um, there's this idea that it's taking education away from, from children because the schools are open for those 195 days or can be open for those 195 days. Um, I'm not sure that they're always aware that those schools are generally open for an awful lot longer and there are people on site and doing various bits and pieces way beyond the 1195 uh, remit. But um, you know, people get confused and, and I was looking through and, and there's a report on the BBC from 2014 which was actually highlighting um, that, that parents haven't got a clue what happens in those days. And part of those, that frustration that they perhaps have, that it's disruptive for them, particularly if they've got you know, children in different schools that might have different inset days um, across different phases, they find that really frustrating because it, it is a, an impact on their work time. They have to find childcare and, and things like that. But I think it's the lack of understanding of what happens in those days that really is the issue that, that we, you know, they don't know what the purpose is. Why do we want our teachers to be having this time in order to develop? And I have to say, you know, that that's something that I'm hearing echoed when people say, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't want these days when people say, well, actually just give them back to us because we're not doing anything valuable. Um, Jess has said perhaps these parents should be aware of the training and work that is done these days. I absolutely agree. I think it, it's, it's important. It's one of those communications with the community that we really perhaps have to work on that there isn't an understanding or there's an assumption that they they do know so we don't have to highlight it. And, and at the same time, you know, we don't necessarily want them to know the well actually today we're going to be particularly focusing on metacognition and we're going to be considering how that's going to perhaps uh, increase independence in young you know we're not talking about that level but there does need to be an understanding yeah I, and Jess says I feel parents are not communicated to it enough yeah and, and that is uh, again it's, it's an issue and there are some schools doing fantastic jobs in terms of communication but sometimes 
it does come down to the sort of the necessary, the nitty gritty. There are perhaps some assumptions made about what pupils under, uh, you know, or what parents will understand about what's going on with their with pupils. And actually, maybe if we are talking about that and being more open um, about what's going on, we wouldn't have that confusion. Good morning, Joe has joined us in the studio as well. And I know um, Joe um, on Twitter was uh, one of the people who mentioned that lunches were particularly good in the training that uh, she'd had previously um, in, in her, one of her previous jobs. And um, again, you know, sort of talking to people and, and what they're seeing and what they're valuing. Um, I, I know that Joe also said that there, there were many other things that, that were important too. But um, it, it's about that focus. It's about that purpose. And if, if actually we want parents to understand what these five days are for, I think we've probably still got some work to do about what we understand these days are for as well and how we're using them. Um, I dug down a little bit further uh, on the internet as well and kept going in, in finding out, you know, sort of about baker days, inset days, what was happening in, in other countries. I know that um, in, in Japan, certainly the, the time I was reading um, information about it, that there is a, a huge, a significantly um, higher um, amount of time that's devoted for CPD. There's lots of collaboration throughout that as well. And I think other countries, again, are similar. Um, I did dig down to an area I wouldn't normally go and I found a blog post which was from 2013 on Conservative Home webpage um, and, and their blog. Again, it's, it's not something I'm particularly familiar with, but I was just really interested to see from presumably um, a group or, or, you know, and, and I know, you know, we're talking group, they're not homogenous. There's lots of different ideas and attitudes there. Um, but I thought, you know, well, maybe people who had been instrumental in setting up inset, inset days had perhaps been instrumental in uh, organising what CPD should be looking like, should have uh, been exploring that with the DFE, although I think they were a bit late to the game as well might have some uh, insights as to what's going on there. And actually, they highlighted exactly the same concern with parents um, who, you know, they didn't understand what uh, CPD is uh, is about and they didn't understand why it mattered and uh, you know what it was for. But there was a lovely, well, I say lovely, I have a comment I've got a few issues with, I have to say, which was apparently taken from a teacher blogger who stated that these inset days, these CPD sessions, were truly ghastly. And they were truly ghastly because they were seeing teachers in their casual clothes. Now, in light of some of the things that have been discussed, certainly on uh, Twitter yesterday, um, I think this is, this is a really interesting comment now. Um, I found this kind of a... a Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere like that. And and it's really interesting to think that our ideas and our, our um, understanding of clothes, smart clothes, and perhaps problems with seeing people in their casual clothes is something that goes all the way across here. But truly ghastly, they said. Um, they also mentioned a buttock-clenching embarrassment of role play. Um, I know that role play isn't something that is generally embraced by people uh, and teachers when they're asked uh, to do so. Certainly from my experience in a secondary school. Interestingly, though, um, delivering some work for early careers teachers, they, they were given a survey 
and they said they really liked role play. But I think our understanding of role play has changed. I don't think it's about pretending to be a deputy head telling a group of pupils off anymore. I think what we actually mean by role play is more like deliberate practice, or at least that's what I'm hoping when I come to work with those people, and that's going to be fine. Um, I am an hour about whether to read the final line I've taken from this blog, but I think it needs to be out there um, because they said the whole day, this whole inset day or any inset day is like some awful menopausal support group. Now, um, I, I don't know who the blogger is. Um, I don't know um, <laughs> quite how we can respond to that, but nevertheless, it's out there and, and it's a, an idea and an attitude that they really, really don't find that CPD in school is doing what they want it to or what they need it to do. So I think, you know, there's a lot for us to think about in terms of how do we get this right. And that's why I want to keep exploring it, keep looking at it and seeing what's going on outside. And um, I think that's probably going to be a perfect opportunity for um, me to invite Clive to join us. I know that both Clive and Hayley are here with us already. But are you unmuted? You are. Hello. Good morning, Clive. Thank you ever so much for this early start. What time were you actually up, though, this morning? Hey, up, Zoe. Um, I was up at about six o'clock with the little one blowing raspberries. Oh, she, she's still on her raspberry blowing stage then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. But not a three o'clock start. Um, was that over to Hayley? No, no, she wasn't awake for it. Oh, um, fabulous. We're using some white noise. We're doing some CPD on, um, on sleep regression. So really interesting. Oh, that, I, I probably could have done with that last night, actually. <laughs> so if you could send some white noise by way for later, that would be fantastic. Um, thank you again for joining me, Clive. Now, when I was thinking about this show and this topic, you immediately came to, to my mind because I know it's something that I've seen you write about. I've seen you uh, now I've heard you talk about and we've spoken about before about um, th this kind of idea of the world outside of teaching and the world inside of teaching and this separation that perhaps could be a little bit arbitrary, some might say. Um, but could you just tell us, you know, to give us a context around that, could you tell us a little bit about you know, how you came into teaching? Because it, it hasn't just been a straightforward route, has it? No, it's been um, it, it's probably the most convoluted route into teaching I think most people <laughs> have come across. Um, so I did pretty abysmally at my GCSEs. Um, this was back in 1993. I am older than most people seem to think on Twitter. Uh, um, sure, youthful demeanour. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, my head teacher lied to my parents and told them that I had to stay at uh, school for lower sixth at least because I uh, because my birthday's the 31st of August. So she said, well, he didn't start school until the Easter, so he's got to stay for lower sixth at least, so um, he can't leave that until then. And my parents mm. swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, thankfully. Um, <laughs> I, I resat my English GCSE, my English language, uh, got enough grade, you know, got the grades that I needed to go and join the army and go into the apprentice college. And it was my physics teacher that, because I was uh, my original intention was to go and get a commission. And my uh, my physics teacher said to me, "I think you'll do really well going in for this apprenticeship." So he took me down to the careers office. I went in, did my, uh, did all my assessments, um, got offered any of the trades that I wanted in the in the military, so or in the army. Um, so I decided I wanted to become a mechanic and joined the Army Apprentice College. Nice. So left my left my um, A levels at the end of lower sixth. Uh, joined the army at seventeen. Uh, 
was there until 2001. Um, went through from that into logistics management. I've been around logistics my entire life. My dad was a truck driver. Um, the, I moved into logistics through through fleet management. So I was looking after the maintenance of, um, of a fleet of vehicles to mm. start off with. Uh, from there, I became an operations manager. So that's the equivalent level of a head teacher at uh, the age of 28. So I'd only been in the logistics sector for four years. Um, from that, it kind of got quite boring because of what the, the, uh, the logistics sector is very, very antiquated. Um, it certainly was then. Uh, of its practices, you know, people still smoked in offices. It was um, mostly ex-drivers that ended up um, with perhaps a bit of money and investing in a company and becoming a transport manager. So I was somebody that was seen as being very, very progressive coming into um, coming to logistics. Uh, had to prove myself. So you know, the first thing that you get is um, ask a driver to go and park a park an articulated lorry, and they can't get it in. And you say, well, what, do you mean, "What do you mean you can't get it in that gap?" And you, you, your instant response is, well, if you could do any better, so you jump in the car and you reverse <laughs> it in. And they actually realize that you can do the job. And I think that's been really important coming into teaching mm. you know, from a, you know, the next career, um, career change. Um, We're uh, talking you know, credibility to, there, aren't we? You know, that, yeah, and, that. and I think it's uh, I think it's essential. Um, there's, you know, I, I'm not going uh, you know, to, I don't hide about the fact that I came into teaching through Teach First. And I can remember being spoken to by uh, by recruiters uh, for Teach First. You'll be a head teacher within six years. I'm sitting there thinking, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I, unless I'm a head teacher with, with by the end of next year, um, that's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think that you've got to um, you've got to prove your credibility in the classroom before you can start moving on to leadership. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we've spoken about a lot. Of um, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a uh, a bit of a focus, I think, with perhaps early career teachers who've been told that they'll progress, depending on the route that they've come through. Perhaps the route that they've, um, or perhaps that they've come from, you know, good good degrees. They've they've got peers that aren't in education that are trying to push themselves forward. That are getting lots and lots of investment from the companies they've worked for. Mm. And um, and they're flying. So there's this uh, there's this need to catch up with the people that you went to university with. Mm. Um, and I think that the stepping back and actually surveying what your route and how you're going to do things, um, is, which is something we've spoken about a lot, mm. um, is something that's uh, really prevalent. And I think a that covers my route into teaching, and b my sort of views on uh, on cpd and how cpd can uh, it can play you know, a lot of my role in logistics was writing cpd programs not just for me but for um external bodies when the specific professional competence came in for um for hdv drivers mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that your crews are all trained ready to go out on the on the road and that your office staff are trained because there's so many different niches within logistics mm-hmm. um that you, you need to make sure that cpd is tailored towards them yeah, that that's always the the biggest challenge, isn't it? You know, making sure it's bespoke, it's specific, it's um, yeah, and often I think in the past we've gone down a very generic route. Now I am going to be talking in a couple of weeks' time, um, hopefully to to Mike Hill about sort of subject specific versus generic because I think there's there is a place for it. 
but you're right you know when you've got somebody who's in an office role they're not going to be needing the same and uh, as somebody who's driving the trucks and uh, and doing that kind of thing but uh, maybe in the classroom and in schools we've really got into that kind of way of thinking about it you know one size fits all for teachers and really not considering those different areas so yeah you've, you've definitely gone an interesting route <laughs> to get into teaching, to get to where you are. Um, what, what are you doing now? That's just so everyone knows your kind of role of, of what you're up to now. So I'm the lead teacher of science uh, at a school in Derby, which is essentially I'm, I'm the second in science. I'm the, the, the head of biology. We work as a triad, uh, three of us. Um, so we've got a, a chemist looking after chemistry, a physicist after uh, physics, and me looking after biology as a biologist. Mm. Um, I lead on teaching and learning within the department as well. So, yeah, excellent. So you, you've really got that. You, you've got your foot in lots of different camps anyway there, haven't you? Sort of thinking about the, the way forward for that. And, and I like the way you were sort of suggesting the, the kind of writing the maps, writing the courses, the routes, the, the way forward. And I guess that perhaps comes from some of your previous experience as well. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of genericism, I think, in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as you as you rightly touched upon, you say yeah, we expect every everybody to, to be a fantastic teacher. Why are we? Why do we promote the, the, the amazing teachers in the classroom mm. into leadership when actually they might you know, they might not be excellent leaders, but you've got somebody that's reasonably reasonably good as a teacher in a classroom. They, you know, they can hold their own. Um, but has got great leadership skills and can look at strategic, uh, st- you know, a strategic overview. Um, those people should be the ones that, you know, that, that have got the skills to move into, you know, I don't want to use the term leadership, but, but more sort of a strategical and logistic, uh, logistics-based um, roles within a school. And yeah. I, I think that there's, there's too much of a focus on, Let's make everybody an amazing teacher, which obviously that has a massive outcome on students. However, from what I've seen and heard about the previous MPQ, um, QMLs, SLs, they don't necessarily teach everything that's needed to be able to run a department. They don't teach everything that's needed to run a school. I mean, how many um, how many head teachers have got a, this sound basis in? fiscal management and HR management that I require to have as qualifications in to become an operations manager in, in a transport company and mm-hmm. hold an operator's license. Um, it, it, the, the level of responsibilities there, I mean, if, if a, I had HGV drivers that were driving over their hours and got involved in an accident, then I could go to prison for it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the level of responsibility is really high. However, mm-hmm. the, the, the level of qualification and the specific, uh, specificity of those qualifications are very different between the two. Mm. So uh, do you think we get quite insular? So, you know, obviously I, I've, I've been intrigued by the world outside. And, you know, I was reading some material about sense making that came specifically from the medical profession um, and how we kind of um, work our way through and problem solve and some of those things. Um, but do you think we are perhaps too insular? Do we need to be looking outside? Um. I think yes, education is extremely insular, but I understand why. Mm. Um, I think that stems from uh, the, that the, the adage of um, everyone's been to school, so everybody can be a teacher. It's that sort of attitude from people outside of education, which hands up includes included myself before I became a teacher. Mm. Um, 
so I can understand why people are very much a case of well, this education, you don't know what it's like. Mm. But on the other hand, I think that there is something to be said about people that have gone from school to uni to school and haven't haven't experienced um, careers outside of education. And by career, I don't mean they've had a job for a year before they become a teacher. I mean, actually being in, in a career and changed mm. after, say, five years um, so they actually get a good understanding, you know, because if we're going to say that it takes um, it takes five years to become a, you know, a fully conversant teacher, um, a fully competent teacher, then arguably we should be saying that realistically a career should be five years outside of education before we start classing people as career changes that can uh, you know that can weigh in on things. Otherwise, you've, you've done a job for a year. I think there's yeah. a difference. There is absolutely, you know, and I, I see that, you know, and as I said at the beginning, you know, my experience of the world outside of teaching, and you, and you know I've had it rough, Clive, you know it hasn't been an easy yeah. ride, but at the same time, you know, I, and, and nobody was developing me, you know, people got excited when they they were sort of saying to me, you've done really well on um, kind of the, the uh, burgers, uh, on, on the sauces today, we're going to put you on burgers tomorrow, and, and they showed me how to do it, and that was their idea of kind of development, and that, that was the training I needed there but it means I haven't got that understanding of how other professions are doing that and it was interesting to kind of see comments about uh, the legal profession and again this kind of requirement of the number of hours and and kind of uh, you know working out as, as Hayley will probably say you know the training that they have to do in, in, in order to do that and I know she's also been involved in other careers as well hasn't she um what I'm going to do is I'm going to pop to the news Clive and uh, then I'm going to come back and uh, and Hayley can perhaps join us and we'll continue through the questions if you're happy with that. Yes, yeah, sound. Excellent. Thank you. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following extensive research into the importance of the early years, Oxford University has involved nearly 4,000 children from across the UK in three specially developed science lessons. The aim of the lessons is to educate pupils about brain development during early childhood. The SCENE project, Secondary Education Around Early Neurodevelopment, is part of a drive to increase public understanding of how early experiences can shape the adults we become. 
Dr. Elizabeth Rapper, senior scientist at University of Oxford, comments on the university website, in the same way that we teach children about the risks of smoking or poor diet, children also need to know about why experiences in our early childhood years are so important for later health. Just one in four adults recognise the importance of the first five years of life for providing lifelong health and happiness. The lessons taught the neuroscience of brain development and what that means in terms of how a child grows and develops, as well as focusing on specifics such as how a caregiver should speak to a baby to promote their language development. Schools in some regions are once again facing closure although this time it's the weather rather than the pandemic that is to blame. ITV News reports that snow and ice led to the full or partial closure of schools across Yorkshire. The closures were largely due to staffing issues as many staff struggled to get into school after yellow weather warnings for snow and ice were issued. The cold weather also prompted an article in the Metro focusing on the temperature inside schools as many try to increase ventilation to mitigate the transmission of coronavirus. The article reminds readers that there is no minimum temperature recommended for schools in current legislation, but that schools should follow all health and safety guidance to ensure pupils and staff are kept safe. On the official government website, .gov.uk, the Education Hub features a story from University's Minister Michelle Donnellan. The piece entitled, What I Wish I Knew About Uni Before I Started, offers the Minister's top tips around topics such as UCAS deadlines, maintaining your mental health during both the application process and starting a course, and advice about funding and the Turing scheme, which replaced the Erasmus scheme. The website also includes a link to the video recording of the interview. In further higher education news, the Nigerian Tribune reports on a regional conference which is investigating the impact of private universities on public universities in Africa. The event was held at Babcock University and has the support of the University of Texas at Austin and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Professor Toyin Falola, conference leader, stated, We are studying five countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya and South Africa. The conference aims to focus on developing the knowledge economy and how it can be improved. The project intends to assess the performance of private universities and understand the impact they are having on public universities in driving up standards, increasing student recruitment and improving the range of courses on offer in all institutions. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Happy New Year! This is the first in a short series on the New Year's resolution a lot of us make and the effect tech can have on it. Can technology really help us get fit and healthy? According to the Fitness Industry Association, around 80% of people who sign up to a gym in January stop going in February. Can technology provide a free alternative? Now before I start, I need to throw down a disclaimer here. I am assuming you already have a mobile device that is capable of running apps, therefore the cost of the device is written off, and I take no responsibility for any pain, both physical and or mental that you will inflict on yourself. You are responsible for your own scaling and moderation. That being said, there are thousands of free fitness apps out there. The first barrier for teachers is time. School Week have reported one in four teachers working over 60 hours a week, so in a 12-hour day, where do you fit a workout in? If the gym's out of the question, what are the other alternatives that are time flexible? Let's start with some totally free options. YouTube is full of fitness videos and challenges from sit-ups and press-ups to squats and chin-ups. A more extreme example is Athlean X. This channel is dedicated to workouts with pro trainer Jeff Cavalier. 
some claiming to make a difference in just seven minutes a day. This may seem crazy, but seven minutes is a lot more than nothing and adds up to more than three quarters of an hour per week. If you're more of a social media motivated person, how about one of the many fitness tracking apps for walking, running or cycling? Most have a free basic package and in-app purchases for additional features. If I use Strava as an example, a free basic package allows you to track your exercise, join friends, set challenges and meet people around the globe with similar interests. My only word of warning would be to ensure you consider your profile settings to keep yourself safe. Hiding the start and end of a walk, run or ride, for example, will stop your home being shown on a map. For most people pushed for time, this will be where you start and end your exercise. Also, if you exercise regularly at the same time, this could be showing the world where you're likely to be or when your house is empty. For those who want to start softly and just be a bit more active, a less intensive option may be having a step counting app. Again, there are lots of different apps out there. My example is Sweatcoin, a free app that allows you to earn Sweatcoins, a form of digital currency that can be traded in the Sweatcoin store for discount codes, vouchers, and even given to good causes. This is a simple app and can run in the background, so you don't even need to remember to switch it on. Finally, calorie counter apps are a great way to look at what is actually going on in your body in the first place. On apps like MyFitnessPal, you can log your weight, calorie consumption, calorie output, and also have the ability to sync this with other fitness apps, so you don't need to log your exercise twice. As long as you're honest and log all of those glasses of Prosecco, not just the first, you're rewarded with detailed feedback on not only your calorie intake and output, but where those calories came from. Whatever you choose to do for the new you in the new year, why not do a bit of looking around and see what you can pick up for free first? I'll leave you with one of my favourite sayings, anyone can do nothing. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Are you looking to... That last one was really uh, timely for me. Uh, it's a, a reminder, yes. Uh, oh, again, I have no idea why the tech doesn't like me. But that that last one, yeah, absolutely out for a run when I finish here. So uh, that'll be good. Now I've been talking to um, Clive Hill about uh, CPD and outside of the uh, education sector outside of schools outside of teaching mike hills very kindly said that he's a really interesting listen and then something about bougie which i don't really understand because i'm really old and he's really young um but i would i'm gonna ask uh, clive uh, uh clive's wife hayley i don't I, you know don't like kind of giving her that moniker the wonderful hayley is going to be joining us now hayley hill um who is a currently working as a midwife but i believe hayley you've actually had quite a, an extensive career outside of, uh, of today and outside of midwifery. Hello. Morning, Zoe. Good morning. Um, yes, I have. Apologies at the moment. Um, I am just feeding Saoirse. So oh. If you do hear any gurgling or crying, I do apologise. <laughs> um, Thank you for yes, joining us. You're more than welcome. Um, yes, I I mean, I sat my A-levels um, and really did not do very well. Um I was working in hospitality at the time um, as a waitress just, you know, when I was um, 16, 17. Um, and then when I left school, um, I kind of just fell into that industry. Um, yeah. Didn't have any aspirations to go to university, wasn't, really wasn't um, academic enough at, the, at that point to, to pursue anything further. Um, but I fell in love with the industry um, and, and felt as if I really sort of, you know, thrived in, in what I wanted to do. And um, there is there is a collection of um, 
waiters and waitresses out there and you know especially managers for restaurants that you know this this is their career and um they take absolute pride in it and and that was myself at you know at that time in my life um i worked for jamie oliver um, with the jamie's italian brand Hmm. um exciting celebrity connection (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and they took their training and their cpd sort of really seriously um you know our it, it was it wasn't just deemed as a, as a dining experience um for somebody you know it wasn't just about the food it was it was almost theatrical dining um you know we were professionals in our role um we knew all about the menu we knew where every um item food was sourced from the you know we knew the farmer we knew the butcher we knew um how everything was um produced and we knew um I think one of our, if I can remember rightly, one of our salamis that was, you know, on offer, um, we knew what the pigs were fed, you know, <laughs> you know to, to make them, you know, to, to make the meat taste as it did, you know. Hmm. Um, and there was lots of sort of input in that. Um, and then at, at one point, I just sort of felt that hospitality wasn't really for me. Um, and so I went back to college, um, did an access course, and then went to university to become a midwife. Hmm. And so how does that, you know, you've obviously had that experience with, with uh, kind of that approach to CPD. How does it differ? Because I've, I've mentioned the medical profession a few times, but yeah. to be honest, I'm kind of talking out of my hat a little bit because, you know, I haven't been in the medical profession. So I've just been reading and, and kind of exploring from that way. But but how do those kind of two areas differ? And what's the processes that perhaps that are in place as, as a midwife and in the, in the medical um, profession? Um, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is, is we all understand that you never stop learning. Um, mm. It's something that we're taught as students. Um, it's something that we are, you know, it's it's encouraged as we qualify. Um, that you're never going to be the expert in the room. There is always new research. There's new, always new evidence. Um, there's always something new to learn. Um, and there's always others to learn from as well. And I think mm. that's the most important thing. Um, you know, we're encouraged to explore other avenues of CPD that interest us personally, um, as well as those that are, you know, mandatory to us um, and, and are put on you know, annually for us as, as mm. refreshers, as policy changes. Um, and it, it means that, you know, we, we, can, we can become knowledgeable in, in areas and support other staff you know, in that, I'll just give an example. So, um, breech birth, um, you know, it's, it's in some trusts, I know that it's not very common to offer breech. Um, whereas I, I know in my trust, you know, we've got some excellent midwives that have really done their CPD on breech. Um, mm. and we, we, so we facilitate that. We've, we've got that capacity that, you know, if, if everything is saying that it's safe enough, then, then we can go ahead with that. Um, you know, like like you said, you know, the medical profession is is held held to account. So everything we do is is evidence based, and actually, um, it's not. I I've never seen it sort of deemed as a chore to to learn something or to have mm. a refresher on it, um, because you're always going to, you know, there are always going to be elements of um, something that's going to take an interest, but always elements that are going to help you develop something that you've already learned you know you might sit the same session 
three or four times, you know, over three or four years. But from each session, you've probably taken away something new or something that you're going to do slightly differently or something that, you know, is going to improve your practice. Um, mm. Because it's it's not a case of, you know, you didn't do it before, but actually some, something may have happened, um, you know, during your practice in the last year that you go, you know, oh, if I'd have, you know, if I'd have remembered how, how to have done that, um, mm. you know, what what you know what would have changed i mean i'll just you know i'll, I'll give an example for of um the the the, the ctg monitorings um you know where we monitor baby's heart rate and things um that's really in depth and there's lots of information with that and it, it's a very full-on day of training um yeah. and we you know we were always work collaboratively as a team with you know other midwives with senior midwives with the doctors um and you know decisions are always made at, you know in within that multidisciplinary team um mm. but it's 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 your education on on it that's, that's really important and i think what we've you know what you can take from it you know is you know like i said to you if you if you do that session even five times something in it you'll just go oh yes oh right I really understand that now I really grasp that now or oh that's okay I'm going to focus on this from now on or you know this is what I'm going to take from this session yeah I think that point you make there about um and I, I kind of immediately thought about teachers sitting in the hall going I sat through this last year I know how to do this I did this last year or I've been doing that every day in, in, in my le- in my sort of lessons and, and I'll hold my hands up and say oh, I've been guilty of that kind of mindset in the past and there may be reasons why particularly you know we go in that direction but I think remembering that point that you just made there you know a lot happens in that year and we experience lots of different things in that year so even if the session is the same or similar perhaps there is something new we can take and add to what we've experienced or what we've learned along along the way there um in terms of how, you know, you mentioned you work collaboratively, you obviously have training days, full days and, tra- uh, and sessions. Do you have um, any other approaches to how you kind of accrue CPD? Is it always very hands-on? Is it always very face-to-face? Or are there other things that happen? No, we, we, we do have a lot of e-learning. Um, we we have obviously mandatory um, elements to be part of the, the hospital. Um, each year uh, that's done face-to-face and through e-learning um, mm. we have elements that we need to keep update um, as midwives and nurses um, and doctors actually they they do it as well we have um, a form of revalidation so every three years as a midwife I have to um, I have to complete um, so many hours in within practice um, mm. to prove that you know I'm, I'm still up to date um, I have to complete 35 hours of CPD um, mm. A lot of that, you know, can be accounted for with my in-house training. Um, mm. But, you know, there are elements of it that I need to go and seek my own CPD. Mm. Um, we do reflective practice as well. Um, I mean, I've got to provide, um, you know, five written reflective accounts um, across the across the three years to, you know, to show that I'm, I'm learning from, from my own practice um, or, you know, we sort of take the you know say what now what approach um mm. you know and, and how, how how did that improve or how was that really good um but we do that weekly as well um i know a lot of trusts do it i know that it um it has good morning <laughs> <laughs> um 
you know we have we a lot of trusts you know need to look at elements of care and practice um and we, we call them triggers meetings um and it's things that trigger within um i'll just give an example with it within um somebody's labor for example and they need an emergency cesarean what we do is we look at their whole care uh, from start to finish um and and look at each element and um you know identify is there any areas for improvement um did you know if something's not gone um as anticipated you know can we amend current practice or did everybody adhere to you know a practice mm. and actually it was something that was just beyond our control but is there something that we can still learn from that um mm. and that's something that you know we are always given those op- learning opportunities um mm. and, and it's yeah and as, i would say as midwives i think we reflect daily as well Mm. Um, you know, in our handovers and with each other, you know, we, we do have that conversation and reflect amongst each other. Mm. It does really sound like you've got that that culture, as you say, all the, that continuous learning. It's always there. Yeah. It's you've got real um, ownership yeah. of that uh, and and some kind of autonomy and agency over what you need to do there. And and I guess as you you know you said right at the start, you know, it's, it's really high stakes accountability. Yeah, and we talk yeah. about high stakes accountability in school, but you cannot get a higher stake than uh, what you're doing in the medical profession. It's, it's yeah, there, there's just no comparison in terms of that. Is there? but um do you do you some you know i'm sure you know you've you've i'm sure you've probably heard me whiffling about you know people complaining about cpd in schools and it's rubbish and it's not (laughs) making a difference and and i'm sure you know i'm sure that's something you're familiar with but do you ever hear those same kind of frustrations about you know in in your kind of professions whether that's kind of going back to when you were first in hospitality or now that people kind of coming out of these and going it's pointless there's no use to it you know why are we doing this absolutely um i i I think you're always going to have elements of that um you're always going to have something where you're like well i did this last year and it's not changed or you know, mm. why are you telling me again you know what, what's the point um you know we have mandatory updates you know for the trusted things and it's you know it's, I, I mean for us it's it's fire safety and you know information governance which is your gdpr mm. um you know and prevent and things like that and so you know you can look at it and say or well, time after time it, it doesn't change but you almost have to think to yourself, well, what if it did change? Mm. <laughs> How are you going to know about it then? And, you know, are you going to remember three years down the line, you know, how, what to do in that situation or how to do it? And I think that's the key thing that, yes, there are going to be elements that you're like, oh, God, we did this last year. Oh, you know, goodness, mm. me, this is really dull. Um, but you, 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 I think we all need that reminder because day-to-day life goes on and mm. you know you, you get bogged down in in doing the, the norm and it's quite easy just to you know have that be pushed to the back of your mind um and, and you forget about it whereas you know it you you do yeah. need that i think you, I still, you know i still think you need that reminder 
Yeah, I I think sometimes we have to manage our expectations about what we think that some of these sessions are going to do you know if we haven't magically walked out with uh, 105 things that you know we can apply tomorrow to our classroom or our practice or whatever then people can get frustrated or equally if there's too many of those people go oh no there's too much so you you it's you're never going to please everybody with perhaps what you're delivering in those sessions but equally, people perhaps have got some responsibility to think about what this session is, what the sessions are for, what they're about, and whose responsibility actually is, maybe for something to be taken away. And as you say, you know, you can't be certain that that isn't going to be an important piece of information. You can't be certain when you're working with people and in that kind of environment that that isn't suddenly going to be really, really relevant, even if it hasn't been relevant before. Um, what I'm going to do, thank you ever so much, Hayley. I, I can hear that you, you're probably onto the winding stage <laughs> there. And uh, it is, I'm, I'm no doubt that Saoirse must be our, absolutely our youngest guest on uh, Teacher Talk Radio. And I think she should, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying to Tom that maybe, you know, I don't think she needs a mug. So maybe she needs a Teacher Talk Radio bib or baby grow or something in recognition of that. That would be fantastic. But I'm going to come back to Clive, if that's okay. And, um, um, sort of try and create this link between the world outside and the world inside. Thanks, Hayley. Hi, Clive. Hiya. Anybody, anybody with any thoughts, please do call in. Uh, ask any questions to both Hayley and Clive as well. Not, you know, it's not just about me. It's completely about them today. So, Clive, you've, you've been listening in there um, and possibly helping with some of the feeding duty. But um, what do, what do you think we in schools really need to be thinking about when when we kind of hear what's happening in the medical profession, we hear what's happening in logistics? What what do we need to be doing if we are going to make sure that we're not in 10 years time finding teachers saying that less than one percent um, have found that their that the CPD they've received has had an impact on their classroom teaching? That was that kind of horrific result i found in the curie report from a few years back but how can we do it what what can we do now i, I think if we listen fix to what it all clive <laughs> i think if we listen to what Haley's just said um i know that she's got a real passion around induction of labor mm. um and she's uh, and ctg analysis i mean she, she she'll downplay as, as much as she wants on um on here but you know <laughs> Actually, when you listen to her talk about being able to read a CTG and point things out to doctors, um, that, that's the sort of level that she's at. She's um, yeah. she's on several training courses under the guy, literally under the guy who wrote the textbook on this. Um, so that's a real passion for her. Yeah. Um, and induction for labour as well. So she she's able to go out and go and um, do CPD on her own that counts towards her hours. Mm. Um, for. Uh, in those areas of, uh, of specialism and, or specialist interest. And for me, I would go for a model that um, yeah, I was actually surprised at one of the, uh, the network head speakers, uh, Jade Pierce, she, uh, she, she came up with this model and it's the same one that I've used outside. Um, and it's to look at, so in a school context, you would look at what's in the school improvement plan and so you've got a strand of CPD that is based purely on the school. You've then, as in whole school, you've then got your departmental improvement plan. So you'd have CPD mm-hmm. that's specific to departments. Because while it might be okay for me to sit in a, um, a piece of CPD that's aimed at maths within um, the classroom, 
so obviously being a scientist, it's really applicable. It'd be great for me to understand exactly how the mathematicians teach this aspect of maths, which has an impact on me in science. Mm. It's probably not going to be quite as useful to somebody that's an English teacher. No. <laughs> um, so it, to, to me, it, it makes sense to have a separate strand that is aimed around um, the knowledge that's, uh, you know, it's OK to have crossover knowledge between the subjects. Um especially where you've you've got that, that that link you know it'd be great for us to perhaps have some cpd on um history and science crossover where they're looking at the history of uh, history of medicine or as mike spoken about about looking at ethics mm. um that sort of thing i think would be useful yeah uh, but a lot of the time the C, there's a lot of as i say the genericism in in, in cpd that um, starts to make things it, it loops through relevancy of um, an inset day, mm. to, uh, and it, yeah, you, there'll be people that will sit in a hall together for, from across a, an entire school that will walk out and think that was a brilliant inset day, and there'll be others mm. that will go, well, that was pointless, and it'll yeah. be exactly the same inset day they've sat through. Mm. Um, I'd like to see um, more done on insets for middle leadership. Mm. So you know, there's, there's going to be things that actually, as as a school, as a trust that you can pull people, you can pull your middle leaders out, you can have somebody delivering a CPD session and you can deliver bespoke CBD on leadership to your middle leaders. And I think mm. that would also be useful as part of development as well. I, uh, I have to succession planning. Yeah, I, I have to say, um, I've been involved in some of that in some schools, so that is happening. But again, it's about how widespread that mm. becomes and, and, and if that's seen as important. And, um, you know, but certainly when I was going into middle leadership, there, there was kind of a an introduction to middle leadership course that was offered to me about two years after I'd been doing the job, and and it's you know I think there is a a lack in there, and I'm hoping some you know certainly the MPQLT um, might offer some options around that development, but yeah that that kind of bespoke element um, in terms of role not just in terms of subject I think it is definitely lacking sometimes and uh, your point about you know 50 people walk out of a hall and half of them are going to say that was fantastic and half of them are going to say what was the point of that um, is mm. sadly very very true um, Mark's raised an interesting question in, in the chat and um, it's the idea about logging certain number of hours of CPD to stay in a profession um, I found it, you know, I was exploring something um, in my school about um, just making reflection notes and, and kind of making a note of, of time that was spent on CPD. And, and at that particular time, that went down um, like a lead balloon. We weren't in the right place for that at the moment. But this idea is a profession us logging it. Um, he said, he thinks Lucy Crean mentioned that um, it's a feature of teaching elsewhere, maybe in Singapore. Do you think that would be something that we could consider in in the UK? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it feeds into that the third point that I, you know the third strand of, of CPD that of personal professional development. Mm. You know, or in the military we used to call it PDP. Uh, you used to have a, a personal development profile, and that you know that's game, that's linked back to your interests. Now, if we were to log all of those, now I've. I've used um, Blue Sky through that's the, the um, mm. platform that Teach First use, and one of the schools that I've worked in used that as well. I, I know there's others out there do the, pretty much the same job. Now, I, I like the idea of logging the CPD that you do, 
Because mm. at the end of the day, if we, you know, we look at teacher standards, teacher standard eight says that we've got to take responsibility for improving teaching through appropriate professional development and responding to, you know, and then it's, it's a comma there, responding to advice and feedback from colleagues. So we've mm. got to take responsibility for our own appropriate professional development. Mm. So I think there is an onus of responsibility on teachers to seek out those opportunities. And I'd like to see in schools where there is more, you know, where, where staff that are interested in particular areas are given that the opportunities for that bespoke CPD. And I know that the trust that I work for at the moment, they do that really well. We've got, um, we have, um, pre-recorded seminars from members of staff within the school uh, well, within the trust even that um, deliver CPD on particular areas of interest so that, mm-hmm. and that's something that you know certainly as, as I move up through education that I'm going to take with me I, I think it works well and I think logging it isn't it doesn't need to be onerous mm-hmm. but realistically the thing that's missed with CPD quite ironically for an, a profession that's based around delivering curriculum is a curriculum yeah um, if only so, someone should write a book on how to do that, I think that would be a uh-huh. really good thing to do. <laughs> um, so, so much, so much of the C, of the CPD that's delivered. Once you step outside of the mandatory updates that we have to do, it's reactionary. Mm. And where's the? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see at the start of a year a plan for CPD, and I don't yeah. just mean a plan of. What sessions are we going to deliver? What sessions are we going to deliver? What is the impact of what we're going to deliver? What do we expect that impact to be? And we're going to put in time for staff to be able to reflect on it. Because if you listen back to what Hayley said, reflection is a key um, Mm. element of improving midwifery services. Now, they have multidisciplinary teams. So they all sit down at a table and they reflect on how one aspect of, of practice changing has perhaps impacted several different strands. Mm. And I think we could do the same in teaching as well. Yeah, when, when you've got a new teaching approach, look, let's use booklets because I, I know me and Mark have been talking about booklets in the past. <laughs> um, if, we, if, a, if a school says we're going to introduce booklets into, a, into our school, this is going to be the model that we're going to deliver, then that, that needs to be a conversation that's then had and reflected upon by the, um, the heads of faculty. Because it's going to impact, yeah, it's going to be delivered slightly differently ac- across the board. I, I know for a fact in my school that the English department use their booklets in a different way to the science department have used their booklets. Mm. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot that can be learned from between different faculties. And we don't allow enough multidisciplinary time within schools, or certainly not from my experience and the experience of people that I've spoken to. No, and it's interesting because Joe said there, um, it's interesting to hear because obviously primary, everything is relevant to everyone. And, you know, we're, we're coming at this from a sort of that secondary perspective, but that they need to cover everything when they're in the primary. Um, and and she also mentions that um, EYFS is often neglected in those conversations as well, which uh, obviously is a huge shame because we know that's so important. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... I, I'm sort of thinking about the idea of a profession where, you know, if you haven't logged your hours, then you're out. And considering retention and, and, and what we know at the moment, you know, unless there are lots of, um, I don't know, retired teachers waiting in the wings perhaps to step in, we might have a few problems if we suddenly realised we hadn't covered that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, again, coming back to that bespoke, um, it's interesting, I think it's Rachel who said it um, here as well. 
there aren't enough incentive to keep teachers in the classroom absolutely Mm -hmm. so I wonder how often people view additional CPD as being around career progression rather than student progression and she says hide behind the sofa but you know she's at you know we need to know that the CPD we're doing is having an impact on the students or else it's point you know so what if you've got six people who are qualified to be a deputy head if it's not making a difference to what's going on with the students we know as well not bothered going through that process it needs to have an impact yeah everything's got to come back to the impact on the kids every every single thing that you do is your part of your CPD or you do within a school has got to come back to the bottom line and in a school, that's not making money. It's not produ- yeah, it, It's not producing a, a, um, a, a product at the end of the, the end of it. It's the impact it has on those kids' futures. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they're 100 percent right. The CPD shouldn't be just geared. At, we shouldn't be looking at CPD as this is going to help me get to my next step. Yeah, it should be this is going to help me be better at whatever my area of interest is in for the sake of the kids so Mm. where i you know for example i I want to be a i'm doing my mpq leading teacher development um i've got an interest in in teaching and learning i've got an interest you know quite obviously with cpd i've got an interest in developing uh, teachers so that was a natural route for me to go because it made me better at doing my job and made me better at being able to support people that i work with Mm. um and i think that that needs to be you know that there needs to be that shift from the only way to succeed as a teacher is to become a head teacher. Now, mm. yeah, it, it's probably quite ironic that I came into teaching wanting to be a head teacher, um, but that's because I, I've come from a logistics background, so mm. I'm used to looking at you know large scale overviews of of how things work, at how you know systems analysis. Um, so to me, that's second nature. Um, Yes, I've trained people. I, I, you know, I was taught. I was taught to teach in the army. Rose and Shine is completely embedded in that. Um, but that that doesn't mean that there aren't some absolutely amazing classroom teachers out there. That, to be fair, I'd rather stayed in the classroom and were able to progress within their profession and be compensate, you know, financially compensated for that. Mm. Um, rather than a case of feeling that they that they've got to come out of the classroom to be seen as serious professionals, and yet I'm, I'm not. Again, you know, I think people seem to think that because I'm ex-military, I, I, I'm sort of obsessed with a, a ranking sort of structure or that hierarchical nature in them in in things. But I think that we work collaboratively. Um, you know, so your head teacher is only ever as good as the, the teachers inside the classroom. Mm. So you can't you can't achieve anything unless you've got a team behind you know, a, a team behind not so much behind you, but a team alongside you. Um, yeah. I've always led through inclusion, um, and if you know, so as an operations manager, I'd sit down and I'd have a cup of tea with my with my drivers, and I'd be talking about you know, tell me what are the problems on the ground. I I've, I've gone into a company to. To turn uh, to turn this this company around, that before I got in, it was working illegally, um, and I, I interviewed for the role of a transport manager, and I said to them, the only way for me to turn the business around was for me to start as a driver. So mm. I went in, and for six weeks, I, I was introduced to the road foreman. I was sent in. Um, it was in the same field that my dad had been in, and this, the guy that I the guy that was the foreman actually trained my dad in how to do this job. So the first thing I did was I went in and I said to the guy, I was like, John, isn't it? I said, coffee, white, two sugars. And he was like, how do you know that? It wasn't, they weren't quite the words he used. He was a problem. Mm. problem. <laughs> um, 
So I explained who my dad was, which was my foot in the door with John. Um, six weeks on the road with him, proving I could do the job, listening to him tell me everything about what was wrong with that business. And that was completely invaluable. And it was the hardest day of, that, that I've had at work was sitting there and set, telling him that I wasn't going to be driving anymore. I was moving into the, um, into the warehouse to look at mm. where, the warehousing structure. Um, and I had to come clean to him. Um, and it, 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 we were literally parked up in London and um, I had to take him to the pub afterwards mm. because I felt so guilty and I had to drive out of London. Um, and it, it was purely down to the fact that I, I knew that what I did, well, there was an element of dishonesty there, was it? but it was more like that undercover boss TV yeah. program that you've seen. That's what I was just uh, thinking, yeah. Yeah, for me to get the honesty from somebody that, yeah, I completely respected. He'd got more years in the game than I'd been alive. Mm. Um, so for me to get that, that you know, to get that understanding from how it impacts the people that are doing the day-to-day -day grind, it was essential. And it, it, it completely turned the company around because I was able to explain things from a driver's point of view. And I think that having that inclusivity and making sure that you've got people on side as you as you try to make change happen is is crucial. And you can't do that without having quality classroom teachers that feel mm. valued. And I think that we, as a profession, we don't necessarily value those people that want to stay in the classroom. I'm yeah. sick of hearing people go, I'm just a classroom teacher. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a huge bugbear of mine as well. No, you're not just anything. You're the one who's making all of those differences all the time and we wouldn't function. Yeah. <laughs> and and it is really frustrating. But I think, you know, this this whole way that the profession perhaps is organised and the way that we look at things, it is about that progression. It is about, well, what more can you do? How can you go? It, almost like there's got to be a frustration. But I know in some other countries, they really value the classroom expertise that people have and they free up time not for them to go off and learn how to be a leader or, or, or x y and z but they free up time for them to just work really closely with their other colleagues to get them to that point as well and and uh, and that's their role and they reduce their timetable in order to facilitate that as opposed to saying oh you know you can whack on an hour tomorrow in order to go and do, do some work with with other teachers which we know isn't the best way of organising any CPD at all. And um, there's a little bit of a discussion in, in terms of that kind of experience and that novice versus expert uh, between uh, Mike Hill and Mark, whereas Mike says, you know, do you think, what do you think about the role of choice in CPD? And we've mentioned that quite a few times, that personal choice that real autonomy around it um, and Mark says great for experts less for novices um, even with experts there may be things that you don't know you need some choice um, some some choice some prescription with the balance shifting as expertise comes on um, yeah, um, I'd agree with that um, and I think that if we look at Jahari's window that's um, that's that's even more crucial as to why we allow teachers time to reflect Mm, absolutely and, and yeah reflection is, is all isn't it um, yeah. my, sorry <laughs> Mike's just come in and said just to play devil's advocate I don't think CPD has to be exclusively for student outcomes oh he's going for controversial now um, at least not directly it has a role in furthering a teacher's self-efficacy and maintaining their intellectual and actually he says maintaining their intellectual enjoyment of the job and actually that does have 
a direct impact on student outcomes. But what we always struggle with, um, and I'm sure Clive will agree, uh, agree here, what we struggle with is how do we then measure that? How do we measure that impact if that impact is going to come in two years' time and not two weeks' time? And we're struggling I, I think, always for that. I, I think the time scale of everything in education is too rushed. Mm. Um, you get yeah, you get a head teacher coming to a school that needs to be turned around, and people expect that school to be turned around in twelve months. Mm. When realistically, you could be you know if you if you've got a school that has consistently been special measures RI, mm. um, it's going to take time. You need to have a strategic plan. You, you can make some critical changes um, that will, will happen very very quickly with a leader in place, but. The, the real lasting legacy is whether those things stay once that person's left. Yeah. And that, that takes time. You've got, it takes time to change it, to make that sort of level of change to your culture. Um, and he does, you know, coming back to your point about, you know, sitting in the truck for those days with that guy, you know, that was about building relationships and, and really understanding it. And if we don't really understand the issue and we don't really understand um, the people and, and what they're dealing with day to day, then we can end up making the wrong decisions, can't we? Hundred percent, and I think that it's the um, it's that rush. As you say, what are we measuring? Not everything in education can be measured. Yes, we've got a KPI of um, student outcomes, but cohorts change. Mm. So you might have an absolutely outstanding cohort that that changes it, you know, that, that defies the expectations, and then the following year, we know that that, co- that, that cohort aren't going to be the same as the one that you've just uh, just left in year 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, Simon Siniak spoke about um, the, uh, the Navy SEALs and the, the people that they, ha- that they have working for them. And this is sort of quite vicariously linked. <laughs> and, how, and he talks about the, the metrics that they use to put into people into SEAL Team 6 are competence and trust. Um, mm. So you can measure competence. You can measure how effective a, uh, somebody in the military is quite easily. Um, certainly, when you look at a SEAL team, it's how you know how good they are on the range, um, how far how far can they run, and how effective are they at killing somebody. That's the whole point of SEAL, mm. the, the Navy SEALs. But the trust levels diff- are, are different. Um, mm. And he was saying that you you can't really measure trust with an, as an outcome. Because trust is a feeling. Trust is all about relationships. And we we kind of, I think education is trying to go down a corporate route mm. of let's measure all of our KPIs and let's hold, you know, I know that there are schools that hold people to account on their student outcomes. Mm. Um, whereas actually our KPIs can't really be measured um, as reliably. And yeah. so I think that we need to look at, as Mike says, so for me, CPD, how serious is an individual in developing as, uh, as a teacher? Mm. I think that needs to be taken more seriously as a, as a KPI. And if we were to have as part of performance management, okay, show me what, show me what CPD you've done this year mm. that is outside of what the school has provided, then that, is a, that, that's a, that straight away is a measure of how dedicated that person is to their role. Mm. And I think you've you've then go as Mike says you're looking at their self their self efficacy, you're looking at whether they um, whether they've actually got in, intellectual enjoyment of the job. We can help steer people towards it. That's why you're saying that we need to have 
time for people who want to stay in the classroom to be able to go and help nurture others within the classroom. Mm. Um, I think that there's so much that can be changed around the culture of, of CPD and uh, performance management in education that it's, yeah. um, it, it just needs a radical overhaul. It, it does, absolutely. And I think, you know, that that measuring, the measuring the immeasurable, trying to look for proxies for learning, proxies for leadership, proxies for school improvement. You know, we, we're constantly searching and some things aren't as visible and that leaves us quite frustrated. Um, Hayley, bless her, um, she, she's coming on the chat and, and says uh, personal passions for CPD can be a way to encourage teachers to stay in the classroom. Absolutely. And we know we've got this retention issue. But I certainly know, you know, um, I've been told all sorts of interesting things. You know, my passion for going to research ed events on a Saturday, well, that's not really CPD because it doesn't fit in with the, our particular picture or... Um, doing an MA in your your subject, well, that's not really anything to do with school, is it? That's, that's something outside. So we get all these kind of mixed messages there. Um, but, you, you know, Hayley's right, you can't do your job without some element of passion for your role and uh, needing to look after yourself and your own interests. And, and, and I see this all the time when I'm going back through the research, this idea that teachers that feel valued, that they're interested, that they're engaged, that they're treated as professionals, because we are, you know, we're, we're professionals who've work through university we want some intellectual rigor and we want some challenge as well um and, and you know no disrespect to people who are working on the on the mcdonald's grill or, or, or the checkout in sainsbury's but we don't we haven't gone for those kind of jobs for a very particular reason mm -hmm. we don't want to be doing that and we would quickly get frustrated if that's how it starts to feel there um and Mike, again, says 100% agree on the timescale issue um, that we, we rush things through. And Hayley says not every teacher midwife will thrive or develop in the same areas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yet very often we go, well, that's what you've got to do. So personal CPD always um, people to explore, it always encourages people to explore other avenues. I wonder um, if there's an element of infantilizing teachers as well. Yeah. Um, of, uh, yeah, I, I've... Yeah, you know, I've not necessarily experienced this quite so much, um, but more heard of a lot of experiences of people that have been told off like students mm. that um, aren't trusted to make judgment calls for themselves. That yeah, you know, and it, it's quite uh, it's quite a paradox of you're you're, to you're always told to use your professional judgment, but then there's been there's quite a lot of instances where people are told that they shouldn't have used professional judgment on something mm -hmm. now i appreciate with safeguarding that that's something you, you you've got a process to follow but um we don't always afford teachers the, the, that professional courtesy yeah. or that that level of professionalism that they do have the same you know you, people wouldn't question a doctor necessarily or a lawyer in the same way that um, teachers are questioned certainly within their own profession as well it's just that, just that language, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. you, you had a telling off. You know, you've had a telling off for not, you know, you, you didn't take your register on time. You had a telling off. It's, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> these are colleagues, these are professionals. Yes, there are some things that we have to raise and remind. Uh, and, and indeed, you know, we come, you know, there is accountability there. But we, you know, having that language or having that feeling that people are being told off, um, it, it's certainly not going to be healthy and it's certainly not going to encourage development. Um, and Joa said, uh, and she's asking a question, and it's not going to sound stupid, Joa, at all. It says, um, but why do we have to measure impact? Um, it, 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 there has to be a level, I suppose, of accountability. But what do you think, Clive? Why, why do we have to measure impact? 
Um, if you don't measure impact, then you can have people that are ineffective in an organization and coast. And mm. I think that's a real danger. You know, at the end of the day, we are taking money from the public purse in, in education. And as a taxpayer, I would certainly want to make sure that my, my money's worth was being paid for. We, you know, midwives can't be, can't be assessed in the same way as somebody that's working in a factory can. Nurses can't. But mm. there's still a basic level of competency and development that should be adhered to to show that that person is maintaining their professional status yeah. or is working professionally. And, and I think that point about different measures is is important. You know, we, we're very used to measures being about SATS results or P8 scores or A8 scores. Where I'm working with schools a lot, I'm encouraging people to really think about um, what are you trying, you know, what do you want to measure? What do you want the outcome to be? And to really break that down. So it isn't about, you know, well, we'll wait and see what happens in two years' time when they sit the GCSE or three years' time when they, you know, or, or whatever. But what is it that you're trying to change? What will that then look like? And give them something really tangible, but also they're owning that outcome. It's not an outcome or a measure that's being done to them. And, and when I work with classroom teachers, in terms of that and you know I've worked been doing uh, mentoring with the, with the charter college C teach as well they set the parameters of what they want to achieve and that's what's being measured not something arbitrary or external but I also agree you know if we've got a school that everyone's getting wonderful measures on what they think they want as outcomes and actually students are coming out and and they're not getting what they you know should be getting as a result of uh, that many years in education then we have got some questions to ask there mm. um my said is it more of a thing of in schools um cpd um compared to logistics is them is it more of a, a kind of an issue so for example does cpd and other careers include role-playing scenarios and drawing pictures do you, do we get the big a3 <laughs> paper out and the pens <laughs> any hats that we need to wear um hard hats as about, about as we get uh, <laughs> not different colored are, ones no they are different colored but <laughs> the roles of responsibility of the person that's going to be working on the site um so there we don't do role plays Unless I mean, th there might be some elements of that, if if I had, for example, a driver that have, was constantly getting complaints about his manner, to, um, and I, I'm I, you know, I'm going back historically, I'm thinking of a particular instance here. So a driver that was consistently getting complaints about his manner towards customers, um, I'd pull them in, and we we'd work on ways to actually talk to customers because at the end of the day. My drivers were the best salespeople for for the business. They're, they're, they're normally the main point of contact that that, that a customer would have with um, with my company. And mm -hmm. um, and they a lot of the time because we uh, so we used to go deliver a lot of IT equipment, photocopies, etc., to schools, for example. So if you had a driver turning up that was uh, wasn't behaving professionally on a school site, then I can guarantee that the teacher would be telling me that I should be pulling that driver in and speaking to them. So that we might do role play on something like that, but not by and large, not to the extent it's done in schools. I hate role play. The record. Um, I, I talk drama, and I have to say I'm not a fan. In fact, I was I was head of drama, and, and I'm still not a fan of it. It's all about the context, though, isn't it? So it's, it's yeah. you know, and it's about the, these kind of slightly awkward um, exchanges that could end up taking place, which is why I'm quite keen to hear what some of these early career teachers who I'm going to be working with think in terms of role play, because they've said that they like it. 
Um, but I think what they're really talking about is that modelling and deliberate practice. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but um, I'm, I'm interested to know why they haven't immediately kind of run away at, at the prospect of doing something I, yeah, like that. I, I, I only trained four years ago and the deliberate practice stuff was really good. Yeah. Um, the role play stuff wasn't quite uh, quite as good because I mean, so I was I was told, oh, you're going to this school, so I want you to be I want you to be the naughty kid. Yeah. Um, so I was like, if you want, but you have just told somebody that's next squaddy to misbehave, right? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. could not go well. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, and it, it, I think it's just got the um, it, role, role playing with teachers just isn't effective. I, I did my um, I, I did when I did my assessment center for Teach First, I had to deliver a lesson to two people that pretend, you know, that they were in their twenties that pretended to be students, mm. um, and for me it it didn't feel like I was teaching a classroom it was it's not the same as the first day that I got to go and team teach or to go and deliver the starter or, yeah. or, or, or you know a session within a lesson um it's very very different mm. um but deliberate practice I think is worth doing I, yeah. I think you know the, the whole sort of getting used to standing up and certainly when you're um you've got scripted questions or if you're going through any uh, yeah any uh, teaching techniques Mm. Um, I quickly found out that I, I don't like pastor's perch. Um, mm. there, there was another one that was um, disco finger of where I was supposed to sit there mm. and pointing at, pretending to point at students I could see were on tasks. Um, <laughs> I, and I was like, I'm not doing that. And it, but, but this is a great technique. It's like it might be, but I feel really uncomfortable, and that's not something that I do. No. Um, yeah, I, I I wasn't particularly a, an in, what we call an engaged student when I was at school. My GCSE results would attest to that. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I I can I don't even need to be looking at some of my students. I can go, yeah, Bill, get on with your work, and they'll go. How did you know I wasn't working? It's like, because I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the, everything we do when we're looking at deliberate practice, when we're looking at CPD. We need to look at how that's going to fit within an individual's practice, and mm-hmm. if they could, yeah, if the same results are achieved and they don't necessarily use a specifically named technique from a particularly famous book, <laughs> then does that really matter? Is that, if the, if the yeah the outcomes are the same, but they don't do something in a particular yeah, in that particular way, or they they choose not to use um, a particular technique then I don't see there being much of an issue. But this this gets back to professionalism and actually watching people in the classroom. I guarantee, you know, knowing Mike, I guarantee the way that we, we teach and the way that we behave inside the classroom are going to be two very, very different things. Yeah. Um, however, I, I like to think that, that uh, you know, that our levels of professionalism are still there and that our outcomes are still going to be there. Indeed, indeed they are. Um, now I'm, I'm aware of time because I think we could probably chat about this for ages. Um, yeah. But um, Mark's just said that uh, CPD and office sales um, involve um, toe curling. I think he wanted to say there uh, role play. Um, Haley again, who I'm aware is still there. Um, they use role play in healthcare, but it's for emergency drills and being assessed on life support um obviously that needs to be run through and i suppose we'd argue the same when it comes to um the kind of the kind of first aid training that we do and joe says uh, when i was training we had to do a mock 
reception, be a mock reception class or go to one and pretend to be children for literally the whole morning. I still don't know what we were supposed to be learning to do. Um, yes, that sounds like it could be quite excruciating. Um, but thank you ever so much, Clive. And thank you ever so much, Hayley. I'm aware that I've not come back to you. Um, but um, hopefully, you know, you've enjoyed chatting this morning. I've certainly enjoyed chatting to you. Um, and it's been lovely hearing Sersha on the show as well. So <laughs> <laughs> always a delight, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, apparently, yeah, Sersha's being very noisy, but not, not a problem at all. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, I've got lots to think about, I think, from our conversation, lots to chew over and explore. I'd be really keen to hear people's thoughts on Twitter um, as well, if they've got things to add about this and further things to explore. But um, it's going to be one of those that we need to go away and, and really think about again and think about what we could gain from this so thank you ever so much uh, Clive and Hayley for coming and chatting and I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your weekend um, and, and I know it's the end of your holiday as well isn't it Clive so um, I wish you well for next week and uh, everything goes cheers. smoothly you're more than more than welcome um thank you ever so much for listening thank you for those of you who um sent messages in as well and added to the conversation always really interesting to hear um as i said i'm going to go away and think further on this i think there's more to explore there's always more to explore in terms of cpd and how we're doing this and um and what we're offering i'm going to be back in two weeks time and i'm going to be talking about um as i mentioned earlier the uh, idea of subject um, specific CPD uh, and perhaps that, that work and that link with um, academia, with universities and what we can draw on perhaps with uh, subject associations as well. And Mike Hill's going to be uh, joining me for that as well, history teacher. So I'm really looking forward to that and, and, and thinking about this idea of generic versus specific. We've mentioned it a few times today, this idea of um, CPD being very generic sometimes in school and this idea that it's one size fits all. I know Chris uh, Moyes, uh, who's a, a great leader of CPD and does a lot of work with schools, he talks about one size fits one. Um, but how do we manage that when we're organising school CPD? How do we manage that when we're organising a department? Where can we draw on all of those things? And where does our subject sit? Should that be the main focus? I think Michael probably say yes, but I'm up for a discussion about that. Or will it or should it be something that, you know, the generic feeds out to? So thanks ever so much for listening. I hope to see you again in two weeks time. And do do drop in on Twitter to talk to me. I'm hoping what I'm about to play here is the end music. If it ends up being the news or something else, I will pause. But um, I will see you again soon. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.